0: I was up till 10 o'clock last night out on the softball field. I got a a sod cutter, and I cut all the grass on the edges. So it looks like it's laser cut by the bees uh, organization. I mean, it looks sick.
1: Where's the softball field at?
0: So it's Olympus High School. So I have a meeting at 11. So I I probably should be done by, you know, 10 or 1030. Um, But, yeah, the coaches won't let me coach. I'm like, well, can I take out the garbage or – work on the field. So they're like, here's some keys you can work on the field. The field, I mean, it's a nice stadium, but that nobody's worked on it. And so it's just become a nightmare. I probably put 80 hours into it the last month, trying to fight, get it ready before these snowstorms hit. Your daughters play there? Yeah. So they're doing pretty good this year. Five years before, they hadn't won a game for three years. Then my daughter came in and started started as pitcher, and they won two games the whole season. And uh, then last year, they they had a winning record and had a home field state playoff game. And then this year in region, they're undefeated and ranked in the top 10 in the state. Nice. And uh, they've got a really good team. I mean, I, I think they were ranked ninth, eighth or ninth at the preseason, and they're averaging 20 runs a game, and they haven't even finished a full game. They always run people like – three innings to five innings what they average a game, and they're supposed to play seven.
1: I'm, I'm still cracking up because, like, that's legit who you are. You know what I mean? If I can't coach, <laughs> give me some keys.
0: I, I told them. I said, take I'll, the garbage out. I'll take the garbage out, man.
1: And then you're over there with a the sod cutter cleaning everything
0: up. I keep waiting for the coach to be like, no, you can't do that. But I'm like, dude, the field's wet. When I was in college, we used to throw gas on it and light it up. He's like, well, I'm not telling you what to do, but if anybody asks, I didn't tell you to do that. <laughs>
1: You throw <laughs> like, on I could a get wet fired. field.
0: So back in college, I mean, here we're getting into stories. I don't know if you want to start, but
1: no, I think uh, you, we're recording, right? Yeah, we're recording. yeah, so, we'll,
0: we'll okay. So I uh, in college, I was fortunate enough to get a baseball and a soccer scholarship at the same college up in Portland, a little place called George Fox. And uh, anyway, we'd have it rains all the time in Oregon, and so you're lucky to get games in. And so we'd have a wet field and the coach would give us 20 bucks and say, go get five gallons of gas and a bunch of kitty litter. <laughs> and we'd spread it out on the field, light it up, get the kitty litter, and we'd have teams coming out of Yakima, Washington. It's was like a four-hour drive, and they're calling, are we playing today? It says it's raining. Like, oh, yeah, our field's perfect. And they'd show up, and it'd be dry for like a half an inning, and then it'd be underwater. <laughs> So what do you
1: do with the kitty litter afterwards?
0: So it absorbs the water. So you just rake it in and it disintegrates into it. You don't have to rake it up or anything. I don't remember for sure. Maybe. I don't know. Who
1: came up with this? I don't know.
0: I just, I've been watching internet videos about how to do some of that stuff. And uh, they have like, like giant puddle pads, like a big depends. (laughs) And they're, they're taking those out there. Uh, I've got a shop vac. That's pretty, pretty awesome. So I've, uh, it sucks up water faster than the water will fill it up. So we did that a couple of weeks ago. I dug some pond, some puddles, like little trenches, and then I'd, the water would drain into it, and i just stick the shop back in and suck it up. Get it and, all out of
1: there?
0: Yeah. I think some punk architect's designed the field, though. It doesn't drain right. <laughs> it
1: all goes to I, the I, center. i got to go
0: tear it up and redo it.
1: <laughs> and you're going to take uh, that on personally. I
0: told the coach, I'm like, you care if I get a... a a mini X or like a bobcat, and come out and redo this. He's like, oh, I don't know, we better talk later.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So, just yeah. for everybody out there, the listeners and stuff, uh, Jamie Walker with Walker Home Design. I appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah. Um, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to Google that kitty litter on a on a field. You're gonna have to look gasoline that up. too. That's, Ga- that's Yeah, more gasoline and kitty litter on a. See that? Was, field. That's
0: back when gas was eighty cents a gallon, and now it's a little more.
1: Pristine, yeah, did, you yeah. got to be
0: careful of how much you're going to spend doing that.
1: I remember my mom giving me like a dollar in a little gas can, a little two-and-a-half-gallon yeah. gas can, and she's like, get you something with the change.
0: <laughs> There's no I, way. I find myself talking like my grandpa more and more these days, like, back in my day, bread was a nickel. <laughs> <laughs> did
1: you get older? And I could get an ice cream. It's going to get worse. Do uh, you remember penny candies, candies?
0: I've heard of them. Are they I've still around? The, I've heard the legend. I still see uh, my daughter the other day went to Nickelcade down Is that still around? Yeah. And then I saw the upgraded version, the Quartercade, which is what video games used to be (laughs) when I was a kid. And then uh, it's kind of like they're in competition with the dollar store. Now there's like the $2 store or the $5 store or whatever. So they're upgrading. Pretty soon they're going to be at Walmart level.
1: I think they – I'm curious. Like I think they call it Nickelcade, but is it – is it still like five nickels or something? Yeah, you? I
0: think that's the bait and switch, right? For, oh, for I can play a game for yeah. a nickel.
1: Well, it's hundred nickels it to play m- this game. Multiple nickels, <laughs> but the machine takes nickels. Yeah. Um, you've been in business for twenty-three years. Yep. You've won best of states nine times from this nine times from this year.
0: Yeah, we've only entered nine times. I, I didn't even know about it till a friend of mine told me. He's like, "Hey, you ought to enter best of state." I'm like, "What's that?" He's like oh they pick all the best companies out of the state i'm like who picks it I'm like well it depends on how much you donate to <laughs> to, <laughs> to be in their marketing program i'm like oh, i'm not really sure i could do that but we'll enter and see what happens and yeah sure enough 2014 2015 i think it was the first year we entered yeah. and it's been pretty awesome so now i'm kind of paranoid cuz i'm like next year's 10 we're going to make it to 10 cuz that's it's kind of a cool benchmark.
1: Yeah, when you go in the office, you've got, like, all those accolades up on the wall and everything.
0: Yeah, we, we try to showcase that to people. A lot of people, like, they don't care what you charge. They want to be part of a winning team. Yeah. You know, there's people like that. But uh, we also show a lot of the stuff we've done with charities. Make-A-Wish. We have – I love getting pictures with these Make-A-Wish kids when we do a project with them. Nice. So we've got 30 – I think around 30 of those that we've done.
1: Since since you've been in business? yeah.
0: Yeah, I learned about Make-A-Wish back in two thousand and three, two thousand two, two thousand four, somewhere. In oh,
1: you've done like fun rooms for them and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, we'll you. do
0: themed rooms in the Parade of Homes, and then uh, people always ask, "Well, is the kid gonna live in that house?" We're like, "No, it's just a showcase. It's kind of a marketing deal we've we've worked out with Make-A-Wish." Yeah, that I kind of stumbled onto through the Parade of Homes, and uh, so we'll go in and and. Partner with Make-A-Wish. We find a, a child that's already had their wish granted. Um, for people wanting to know what Make-A-Wish is, it's a, it's a charity that grants kids wishes that have life-threatening illnesses. And most of these kids want to go to, like, Disney World or meet a famous athlete or, a, you know, Post Malone or somebody, you know, famous like that. Yeah. And so the Make-A-Wish organization will organize that charity event and then they have a whole really cool presentation. They've got an office down in Murray where the kids go up and they, they go through special, uh, almost like a, a path. They follow and push buttons and things, and things light up, and they're granted their wish, and they're given special keys and stuff. And uh, they, that's how they get their wish um, wished for. And then they'll choose a different location sometimes to grant the wish. So I've been lucky enough. We've done a few of those in my backyard where we have Disney princesses come and help them open their package to see if they got their wish or not. And it's that's it's so, awesome. it's so cool. How do you get involved with something like that? Well, that's the thing. You just go get involved. I mean, knowing the right people is huge. Yeah. So I'm big on networking and uh networking groups and things like that like bni has been a big part of our our business the home builders association uh you know city groups i serve on the mill creek community council and so i'm involved with the mayor in mill creek and just the last couple of weeks have been filling sandbags because somebody said they saw noah's ark on the horizon there so <laughs> gotta get ready for that
1: how bad is that
0: yeah it's uh i wasn't here in 83 when we had the big floods or yeah. whatever but I went skiing a couple of weeks ago and it's the most snow I've ever seen and I've skied here for almost 30 years so
1: I've seen a picture of you know you you ride the lifts and everything and you're like why in the hell do these have to be so high so
0: high yeah, yeah.
1: and then I seen a picture the other day of them setting up uh, barricades and everything because you can almost grab yeah. lifts
0: Yep. Yeah. oh yeah that is crazy it's uh, it's awesome it, we sure need the water so yeah. it's cool to have that
1: hopefully our infrastructure is a little better since the 80s
0: you'll find out how smart the engineers were in the last 20 30 years right
1: (laughs) yeah Yeah, pretty quick within the next couple months so it's the pictures are pretty bad of what's going on right now
0: so that's kind of like make a wish type stuff we uh try to get a room or two in the parades over you know each summer if we have a home in the parade and then we'll find a family that says hey yeah we'll do a, a lego room in our house and then we'll find a child that their wish was, you know, going to Legoland or something like that, and uh, we match them up and then kind of design the room based on what their wish was, and then we don't share it with them until we do what's called a room reveal. So it's kind of like a surprise moment, so we'll bring the child back. In the meantime, we've had dinner with the family. We get to know them really well, and then we can really kind of hone in on what their wish was and then showcase it in the room, and we always do little hidden things in the room so it makes it Uh, something like if you've been to Disneyland, they have hidden Mickeys, you know, so we call them hidden Mickeys or Easter eggs or things like that. So the kids not only have a cool, you know, Ice Planet Hoth rock climbing wall room, but there's also hidden things in there so they can spend their time looking around and and doing that. Then we try to put sound in it and try to affect every every sense, you know, sight, sound, smell,
1: that kind of stuff. Take it all in? Yep. That's awesome. The culture for DK construction, we're wanting to try to start giving back and, doing some fun things. So that's why I asked, yeah. like, how do you get involved in
0: that? Well, I can make some introductions. It, yeah. It's really not that hard. Charity groups are always looking for people to volunteer and help, so.
1: Yeah, definitely do.
0: And then during COVID, we actually couldn't, they, they they didn't have kids getting their wishes granted because of travel, and a lot of these kids have immune issues, so they couldn't be out in public. So Make-A-Wish called us and said, hey, do you want to build something? So we jumped all over that and built a, a little girl, a playhouse, in her backyard. And she was artistic and loved to draw and paint. So she said, I want a playhouse with an art studio. So we put an art studio up in the top. And she has two little brothers that she said were really annoying. And so in the bottom, Standard. we built a sandbox. So the, her brothers had something to play with and not come and bug her. And we had a rock climbing wall and some slides and a zip line that came off her playhouse.
1: So What's the most memorable you've done? Oh, gosh. That you can think
0: of. I don't know. There, If you go on our website, walkerhomedesign.com, you can yeah. go through our gallery of, uh, we call them Walker Fun Spaces, because now we've had so many people see our rooms. They're like, well, I'm not doing a parade house, but can you come change up our room? And one of them we did was a whole, we called it, uh, uh, what's the treehouse room, Disney? The. Swiss, Swiss Robinson Treehouse, I think is what we called it. And this older couple uh, didn't want their son to move away with their
1: grandkids.
0: (laughs) And so they said, we want to build a really cool room that makes them want to stay here in Utah. And so we, uh, it was like a second master suite, 20 foot ceilings, uh, had a little loft area. And so we just went to town and made it feel like you were out in a forest and uh, did a tree house, did a rock climbing wall. We did a secret passage. Is that it right there? That's it. There you go. So if you go behind that wall to the right, when we were looking through the home beforehand, we actually, we said, hey, you've got like wall space behind here because there were stairs that went down. Yeah. So we reversed that, punched through the wall, built stairs inside the wall, and uh, had little windows that you could poke out. See that? Is that a before? So that's before. That's what it looked like. How do you find this? Well, the on your website. Internet's your full website. of stuff. I need to get on my website. I didn't know we had a before video like that. But, yeah, you can see it's a whole suite. Yeah, with like a and, loft. And uh, so then we put secret doors in, created a staircase that went down inside the wall, and then just gradually made it. In. It's like it's like a mini Disneyland right in somebody's house. We did a, a treehouse area with hammock swings. We did these pop-outs so you could – it looked like the wall was uh, like gushing water and things like that. And uh, – so that's my dad and braden braden does a lot of these my dad's worked with us off and on for 15 20 years there's a little uh we've got slides like i said hammock swings she wanted it to be able to where the kids could come in and read too like a little reading area yeah and then we attached all the rock climbing things had to engineer some of the balconies and
1: uh i was trying to pitch you with short hair but i don't need to try to picture it anymore yeah i
0: got rid of my COVID hair. Uh, a couple days ago. I'm more, and aer- and right there, I'm more aerodynamic now.
1: <laughs> oh, that's awesome.
0: So Is that, that a little rock wall? Yeah, yeah. So we built those out. We had to adjust them. Uh, that's my one of my good uh, friends, Amy. She has a company called Wondrous Walls Within. And so she came in and did all the artwork and the painting.
1: Wondrous Walls?
0: Yep. So you can tag them on this too. Yeah,
1: that looks good.
0: She's really awesome. Oh, it's really
1: good. That was going to be one of the questions was who does all the painting and stuff.
0: So a lot of times I'll draw things on the wall, and then she'll come in and and add her flair to it and paint everything. And I don't think I have the patience on doing all the detail art stuff. Yeah, look at that
1: what uh the yeah the pictures do not do justice you got to click on the video and look at the video
0: yeah the video is pretty sweet i forgot about that
1: what was it called What is our company called
0: wondrous walls within wondrous walls within yeah so she's been doing our our artwork if you click through you know, any of our fun spaces uh nine times out of ten it'll be amy that's painted them uh we when you ask about what was the most memorable Um, it wasn't a room, but it was a house Yeah, and, uh, it was kind of my dream layout. Uh, if you go and I think there's going to be videos. So if you, um, like
1: Amy, you better figure out why it's (laughs) nine out of 10 and not 10 out of 10.
0: (laughs) Well, and this is probably, this house is why, because we had a client come through and, and you're seeing a lot of them there, but we had a client come through and, uh, basically grant me my wish. He's like, I want to turn my house. He said, we're going to tear down a house in Pepperwood and rebuild. And the house was pretty ranky. It was like built in the 60s. And I'm like, yeah, you're smart to tear this down. Uh, Pepperwood's a gated community in Sandy. And there's uh, views all over. On one side of the subdivision, you have views of the valley. And on the other side of the subdivision, You've got mountain views unobstructed. And so he said, I'm going to tear down this house. I'm going to make, I want you to do like a mountain modern style. And I want like 12 bedrooms. It was over 5,000 square foot. The house was maybe close to 8,000 square feet. But he said, here's the thing. I live in Florida and I'm going to use this as my vacation home. And uh, we started doing kind of like Zoom meetings with him before COVID made Zoom popular this was back in 2014, and we never met the client face-to-face. It was just phone calls. And uh, he said, I'm going to make this a like anniversary inn. I want every bedroom to have a theme. So when my friends come and stay with me, I can tell them, oh, you're in the Snow White room. Oh, you're in the, the, you're in the, the uh, Seven Dwarfs room. You're in the superhero room. <laughs> so if you scroll through those, we did nine Make-A-Wish rooms in one house. Nine. And every room had a child. So we got to meet nine Make-A-Wish kids in one year for this one house. That's badass. And so Amy, I brought Amy in. I'm like, what do you think? She's like, I can't do nine rooms in three months. Because um, the builder on that house, uh, tag him too. He was awesome. Uh, Kelly Anderson at Ironwood Construction. Uh, he allowed us to kind of come in and run it. A lot of times builders are like, no, let me, let me do this. Yeah. But Kelly's like, no way. I, you guys take it over. So we managed and organized, and I brought in five artists to do nine rooms. And uh, Amy did the Snow White room and the, uh, so that Snow White bedroom. There's the Snow White one? Yeah. My dad came in, and um, this was before, I think before Braden was with us, but uh, all of the wood beams that you see in the ceilings and stuff are all styrofoam. So we, we etched them with hot knives and things like that, and then Amy came in, came in and, and modified them to look like wood beams, and then uh, we put the chandelier thing. So it was supposed to feel like Snow White's cottage. And then right off of the cottage, was, and then we hung little decorations in there so it looked like the dwarfs lived with her, like the little clothes hanger and stuff. And then we hid poison apples in the paintings all around the room. So there was like seven or eight poison apples that you had to come in and find. The other cool thing, and down in the bottom left corner, you see the wicked queen in that picture. This is – Amy did an awesome job with this. Look at that picture for a second. Look at the whole picture. Do you oh, see the, the shadow. Do you see the shadow on the door? Yeah, yep. Isn't that just awesome? That is. She's looking at her counter self there.
1: You're uh, like, look at the whole picture. I'm <coughs> like, there's something hiding. I know there is.
0: So if you if you look at this um, – I mean, that really shows how awesome and creative Amy was on uh, these projects. So right off that bedroom was a bathroom. And so we did the Wicked Queen bathroom, the Snow White Cottage, and then on the other side of that is the Seven Dwarfs Mine. So up in the top right corner, we turned a, a bedroom into a gaming room. So we went in, and my dad and I built this so it felt like you were in the Seven Dwarfs Mine shaft. Yeah. Um and I don't know if we have a good picture of it, but my dad's an electrician. He came in and put, uh, I don't see it on the screen. Anyway, it might be in the video of this house. I'm sure we have a video of it. Um, We actually did buckets full of gemstones that were backlit, and we also did them in all the walls. So when you walked in that room, the walls lit up with gemstones, like they were just going ready to pick them right off the wall. So if you've ever been to Disney World and gone on the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train ride. That ride came out six months before we did this room. And so I was fortunate a enough to, to go there and we're like, oh, I'm totally doing this in that room. So that was that was a fun, cool room. So there were three rooms there that Amy did, but uh, all of the superhero, the pod, there's an Anakin Star Wars pod racer room. If you click on that one, uh, go back right there, pod racers. So this was an interesting room. It was like 12 foot by 12 foot, but it was a vaulted 18 foot ceiling. So I wanted to do some sort of a cool climbing wall. And so we partnered with uh, another artist on this one. He actually, he saved us because one of the five artists kind of tanked and didn't, didn't come through. So we had to let him go about a month before the parade. But uh, Kirk Larson, uh, I think his Instagram is Kirk the artist or something like that really awesome he came in and built that pod racer bed i drew up some designs for him and then uh, i think you can see yeah right there uh it's like a a pod racer bed click on the one
1: above it (coughs) to to the top left kind of yeah yeah. right there click on that so you can kind of see you
0: see the hoses going into the carpet and then uh i wanted to again make this room so you've got planetary light fixtures you've got all the you got uh Tatooine, uh, most Isley's in the background, the city, and then there's another picture that shows the wall in front of that bed. And I wanted it to lighten up. So yeah, straight there, middle right bottom picture. With the, with LEDs, the, glowing. the glowing, yeah. So I've got two hubcaps with LED lights behind them so they look like they're the Pod Racer engines. So they act as a nightlight for the kids. And then all of the planets, <laughs> I forgot about this, all of the planets from Star Wars are, indi- are shown. And this was before they came out with the last couple movies. So there was eight or ten different... We took styrofoam, cut them in half, and then painted the the half globes to look like planets. So not only are they round, but they pop out off the wall a little bit. So I had three artists work on that one. The other artists we had were... Oh, gosh. I'm, I'm going to have to add them. I, I'm trying to remember everybody's name. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to forget now that the pressure's on. But anyway, there were... A couple other artists that i still use that are awesome so uh,
1: the passion the passion is there
0: summer in st george and had to make trips uh one of them had their birthday and they were here working on this uh in the middle of june i think so
1: um so away from the fun spaces for a minute
0: so there's make a wish and fun spaces yeah
1: Yep. away from the fun spaces for a minute we're gonna come back to them. but uh all this enthusiasm all this drive you're you going and, and helping out at the ball field, mowing lawns or cutting grass or trying to just fix stuff. How do you how do you take this into your everyday business with your home design? Uh, I know you've got processes.
0: There's yeah, it's all about systems. So it it kind of started when I was a kid. So we'll go back to the beginning. How about Let's that? So when I was a kid, I loved to draw. I'd get together with my cousins. Uh, my cousins lived in Monmouth. I lived in a town called Junction City, Oregon. My cousins were about an hour north of us. And every once in a while, our parents would let us get together and we'd have sleepover weekends. And a lot of times we stayed at my grandma's house. They had a double wide mobile home out off a busy road. And we would hang out and just have a blast. We, you know, tunnel through sticker bushes and make forts inside the, the sticker bushes. And weave doors on the outside so nobody could tell where the entrance was in this this briar patch of blackberries and stuff and at night we would sit around a table play games eat popcorn ice cream watch movies that sort of stuff and we would draw and what one of the games we'd play was create a monster and so there were four or five of us sitting around this table and each of us would get 30 seconds to draw a part of a monster and or some something and after the 30 seconds you'd have to pass it to the next person we'd go around the table and by the time it went around two or three times we had this weird creature that came from (laughs) five different minds (laughs) and uh it was it was a lot of fun
1: i'm gonna write that down make my kids do it
0: and so it it showed people you know what kind of creativity we each had and i'm sure my grandma kept those somewhere but i don't know i haven't seen them for a long time and so that was like my first, second, third, fourth grade. By the time I got into fifth grade, uh, a new game had been developed called Dungeons and & Dragons. And so kids were into this you know, role-playing game. If you watch uh, Stranger Things on Netflix, the opening scene is a bunch of these kids sitting around a table playing Dungeons and & Dragons. And that's the same age I was. Basically, that's my group of kids. You know, When they play all that, that music from the 80s and stuff, that all just hits. I think it's a marketing scheme, like a secret sauce they put to make older, older people watch these new shows. Um, but Dungeons & Dragons came in, and I, I never really learned how to play it, but I was really excited about the monster manuals and all these crazy monsters that uh, they had in there, like seven-headed dragons and and orcs with one eye and all this kind of weird stuff. And so I never really learned how to play the game. But kids would hire me to draw their dungeon maps because I'd always put secret passages in them because I'm like, oh, if they catch you here, you can go out this way. So <laughs> so kids love that. So I would sit around during lunch break and if I wasn't playing sports outside or if it was too rainy, they'd have indoor recess. So I'd start drawing stuff. So a couple of friends of mine love to draw, too. So uh, by the time I got in fifth grade, the teachers nominated me for a, a advanced art class. And they only took, like, the only way you got in that class is if teachers and students nominated you. So there was me and about five or six other kids, and we basically got to go in and build stuff. So, like, I would do stained glass, I'd do burnt etched wood carvings, uh, sculptures, clay, all that kind of stuff. It was like way cool. And then I started, by the time I got in sixth and seventh grade, I started thinking, oh, man, I'm 14. Uh, my parents are going to kick me out of the house in four years. i got to figure out how to make money doing something. And my dad built every house we lived in growing up. So every two years we'd move around this same farming town. And uh, so I thought, well, I hate doing roofs in the rain, and I don't love drywall, <laughs> so what could I do? And I thought, well, maybe I could draw the plans they used to build this stuff from. So between the fifth and seventh grades, when I started catching a vision for what I wanted to do when I grew up. That or play in the NBA. <laughs> and the NBA didn't work out, so. Uh, <laughs> so that's how you got so into it. So that's how I got started, that's how I started drawing, and it goes back to Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, just having fun doing stuff, so.
1: That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy, and you've been in business forever, it seems like.
0: it's uh, <clears throat> It's a constant battle, though. I keep thinking, you know, I'm on this bike ride, and I'm going up this hill my whole life, and at some point, I want to hit the summit and kind of cruise down the other side but I think the uh the route I chose is all uphill <laughs> just, I, think, I think that as an entrepreneur
1: everybody feels the same way yeah, yeah I think everybody feels the routes uphill yeah but we do what we love and we just keep going
0: yeah it's funny because I keep my wife's like okay 2023 this will be the year let's say no <laughs> you know just try to ease off a little bit." So. <clears throat> My that's, kid, I, t- I think I told my, you that's my word
1: too. This year is no.
0: <laughs> Which is funny as the reason I I kind of pause and think about that is I go on. I, I started road biking a few years ago. My brother Devin, uh, he started uh, getting involved in triathlons and little mini mini try kind of stuff. And he finally did an Ironman a few years back in Boulder. And uh, I was kind of his pit crew out there cheerleader, and it was pretty awesome to see him do that. But I, I do a lot of bike rides with my kids and they've learned not to trust dad how far we're going like i'm like hey we're just doing a five mile ride hey we're just doing 10 miles and it's It's always it's always about three or four miles further than that every time like uh, for my boy he was in boy scouts a few years back and one of the merit badges he wanted to get or one of the requirements he wanted to get for something was a 50 mile bike ride so we park at 45th South a lot of times and ride the Parkway Trail because there's no cars on it. It's a lot safer. And uh, I said, well, let's ride down to Utah Lake and back. I think that's about about 50 miles or so. And it's an awesome ride. It's such a nice day. And my daughter came with me, too. And she was, I think my boy was probably 15 or 16, and my daughter was 12 or 13 so we all hop on our bikes and we we'd ridden you know 10 12 20 miles before and we get down there and there's a lot of crying and (laughs) a lot of pain (coughs) but we made it down and back and we got done and we used our, our Strava app, and it told us we did 66 miles on the 50-mile ride. So my wife's gotten used to it, too. If, if I tell her, yeah, I'm going down to work on the softball field for an hour, she, she times as that plus three. And four hours later, I'll be back on my one-hour work at the field.
1: Oh, I can't so. even get my kids to go around the block. We went around the block one time, and my daughter was, like, way behind. She was mad. We had cars coming up and being like, you know, you got a kid way back there, right? <laughs> She'll be fine. She'll catch up.
0: Well, the uh, three
1: quarters of the way through, she started passing everybody and was smiling. Yeah. It's,
0: you know? Did you bribe her with an ice cream cone? No,
1: I think she just realized, like, I'm in this. Let's yeah. go.
0: I uh, a few years back, my a friend of mine said, hey, you ought to ride in the Salt Lake City Marathon bike cruise, which happens to be going on this Saturday. So I've almost been doing that for about 10 years, I think. What is that? So they have the Salt Lake City Marathon, where people come in and run a yeah. marathon. But they've added different events to incorporate more people and get more interest. So they have a 5K run, a 10K run. I think there's a 5K rollerblade, And then they have a, a marathon bike cruise. So they don't race. They just have you ride the same route as yeah. the marathon. So we start at 6 in the morning and usually get done... You know a couple hours later depending on how fast you're going and uh last year has been the most well one of the most memorable because we had sun rain sleet hail and snow all in uh, in that two-hour period like i've got videos of it it's hilarious i mean i i went home and sat in my hot tub i think for three hours just to get my core (laughs) temperature back up i mean i was i i couldn't feel my hands or my feet by the time i got to the end um But i started i had my son i'm like hey do you want to the first year i said hey let's do this this bike cruise and he was nine years old i think eight or nine and the bike he had is one of those you get from walmart that's like a little bmx the wheels are like 12 inches around or so and we're going up and down these hills and you know five miles into it he's just snot nose crying his eyes out and i'm like we're, we're five miles into this 27-mile race. We, we might as well finish. <laughs> you know, we only have 22 <laughs> miles to go. And so I, I uh, on some of the hills, he, he would either have to get up and or get off his bike and push his bike up the hills, or I would put my hand behind him and kind of pedal and kind of give him a little bit of a boost. And um, they told us when we entered, they said, every rider has to be done by this time because the runners – so you start the bike cruise at 6, and the runners start at 7. So you get an hour head start, and you're on a bike, so you think so you'd you finish pretty easy. Yeah. So they said, you got to be done by 8 o'clock or 8.30 or something like that. Uh, otherwise, we can't let you finish. And I'm like, well, nobody's not going to let me not finish, you know. <laughs> so um, anyway, I've got David with me. We're cruising along, and, and pretty soon we we see a motorcycle on a, you know, a runner pass us and it's like, it's like nine o'clock and we're three miles away. And by the time we got done, I've, I videoed it, but we were passed by probably 200 runners <laughs> and, uh, but, you finished? but we finished and they didn't kick us out. And then I realized it was more of a a pirate law. They had to try to keep you up, keep, keep people going instead. But, uh, David wrote in it, he's been in it every year with us, except for COVID. They had to do a virtual ride. And then uh, the last two years, he's been on a mission. So he gets back in a few months, and he'll go on it with us again. A
1: virtual ride?
0: So, yeah, they, you know, COVID, you know, you can't be around people during COVID. Yeah. So they said, go ride 27 miles and tell us, put it on your Strava, and then we'll send you a T-shirt and a medal. Oh. So 2020 and 2021, I think, is when they did that. And then last year, 2022, was the first time back
1: i was thinking like a huge zoom call everybody's on that their garage cool. just yeah. going after it. yeah like
0: that, that's an idea
1: <laughs> talking to everybody yeah. we kind of so, digress though tell me yeah. about walker home design
0: oh that's right so i do that on the side <laughs> <laughs> uh so i started this company so i i uh i guess i'll fast forward from the fifth to seventh grade up to high school so i get into high school and i'm like oh, i want to be an architect so I start taking architecture classes, and I think at our school they wouldn't let you get into that until your junior and senior year, I think, because they wanted to make sure you knew what you wanted. So I started taking architecture classes and drafting, and it was all by hand back then. And AutoCAD and DataCAD just came out my senior year in high school. And so I, I did that, and uh, my first year of college I, I got scholarships to play baseball and soccer, so I went and did that. And our soccer team actually won a national championship, which was a cool group of guys to be with. Um, then I served a two-year mission uh, for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and came back and I said, you know what, I better grow up and get back into the architecture thing. Maybe the sports thing's not cut out for me full time. So I still play a lot of rec sports, but I went uh, my second year of college after my mission. I went up to Ricks College, which is now BYU Idaho, and Rexburg, Rexburg, yep. Uh that's the last time I remember all the snow we got like this year. It was yeah. like we were building twenty foot Buddhas in snow and with a <laughs> cave in the belly kind of stuff. And uh so anyway, I got some different jobs there. Uh anything from I was a nurse's aide just to get through college. I have no qualification, let me just say, to be a nurse. But I watched a movie and signed a sheet and they said, Hey, you're qualified to go wipe old ladies' butts. <laughs> Is that what you were doing? i was wiping butts and changing <laughs> diapers and giving people baths and basically it was like a an old folks home or thing like that and just to get money to go through college i did that for a month or two and then i got some other jobs i got a job doing engineering surveying with a an engineer and then finally one of the professors at the school saw how i was doing in their architecture classes and he he gave me um uh, a job being his teacher's aide. So, again, I had no qualifications being a teacher, but he had me teaching his classes in architecture and stuff. So, that was pretty cool. Uh, so, I finished in one year, got an associate's degree in engineering and architecture. And then I thought, well, now I'm on my own. I got to go do something. So, I looked at the University of Utah versus the University of Oregon. They were both accredited architecture schools. And I thought, well, I kind of want to get away from home and spread my wings and prove that I can do this on my own. So I moved back to Utah, where I had served my two-year mission of all places. <laughs> and uh, I went to get enrolled at the U, and they charged me three times as much because I'm not a resident. So I was like, well, I don't, I don't have enough money for that, so I have to live here for a year to get my residency. So that was 90, 1993, I think and uh, got odd jobs around and uh, became a waiter at joe morley's barbecue in midvale and he was an old friend of mine and my brother had moved here since and he had gotten a job there and he said hey why don't you come work with us so i, I was a server at joe morley's for a few months and one day my mission president's wife and two daughters walk in for lunch and i happened to serve him at the table and hadn't seen him in a year or so i said what are you guys up to and they said well my husband." My mission president had moved back to utah also and had partnered with a builder and they were looking for someone to help draw their plans and i said well what a coincidence that's what i'm here for and then one of the daughters said well my husband works for ivory homes and he's they're looking for someone to draw their plans so in a 30-minute period i basically had two unwritten job offers one with homes homes and one with ivory so About two days later, I put on a suit and tie and went and interviewed with both of them and got hired by both. And, uh, so I ended up taking the job with my mission president and to put in perspective, that was 1993 and I'm trying to remember, I think each, they were each paying $5 and one was $5 and 25 cents an hour and the other was $5 and 35 cents an hour. So I took the lower paying job to work with my mission president at Holmes. It was Holmes and MacArthur back then. So I did that for about six months and trained under an architect they had out of California. And then they split the company up and said, Jamie, we don't need you anymore. (laughs) Thanks, but no thanks. So that was October of 93, I believe. And so now I'm I'm still working at the restaurant because I needed money. So I was doing this f- during the day, and then I did the restaurant. That
1: was a six-month time? Yeah.
0: So I worked drawing plans and mostly doing site plans and kind of learning from this architect uh, for about six months. And then uh, on the nights and weekends, I'd work at the restaurant where I could get the bigger tips and things. So... Uh, They told me, Jamie, in two weeks we're going to disband this company and MacArthur's going to start their own company and Holmes is going to go this direction and we don't need somebody like you anymore. (laughs) So I was kind of like, huh, what do I do now? So I'm like, well, maybe Ivory still wants to hire somebody. So I called up Ivory and I said, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but I came in, you hired me, and I couldn't get past the front desk. You know how companies always have like a gatekeeper in there? They're, I think they used to work at the DMV or maybe the post office, (laughs) but that's one of their qualifications to get there, right? They don't, they're, they're angry and mean. I think today they call them Karen. They're they're always named Karen. Um, So anyway, they had this, this lady at the front desk and she wasn't going to let me in at all. And I kept calling, kept calling. I'm like, I'm just going to, I'm going to go rogue on this one. So I put on a suit and tie and uh, I just walked in the front door at Ivory Homes. And the secretary sitting there. And she's like, hi, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I have a meeting with John Aldis. And he's the guy that had hired me before. And I knew he was in that office. <clears throat> and she's like, well, I don't have you on the schedule. I'm like, oh, yeah, he wants to meet with me again. Just total 100% confident. I, w- I was swinging for the fence. <laughs> and, uh, and she's like, huh, let me go check. And I- I'm starting to sweat, right, because I'm like, oh, no. Just then, I kid you not, John Aldous comes walking down the hallway, and he looks over, and he sees me. And not only that, he's like, Jamie, I've been wanting to talk to you. Oh, good. <laughs> and I kind of looked at the secretary. She looked at me, and I'm like, I kind of give her the, see? So John, John takes me back, and he's like, hey, yeah, we've been, we've been really wanting to get you back in here. And I said, well, I, I've got a little bit more experience now. What do you think? And he, he paid me 10 bucks an hour, so double what it was six months earlier. And, uh, I went through and interviewed with Ellis Ivory, the owner of the company and Gary Wright, who did uh, all of his land acquisition and thing like that. And, uh, then I met with my, my straight, uh, like direct boss named Kurt Harmon. Uh, and they hired me to work up in the Davis and Weber County in 1993. I think it was October. And I stayed there for about seven years. And, uh, after my first year i went and got uh, a credit or i went and qualified to be a resident and so i got into the u and had a great experience at ivory uh they were awesome to work with and uh i mean i can't say it i mean people sometimes don't like ivory for certain things but as a company back then i think ellis was awesome as a boss and and uh I did that for about seven years, and then during that time realized I didn't want to be an architect because I had to go to nine more years of school, and I'm not too big on school (laughs) and tests. And so I, I said, well, eventually I want to start my own company. What do I need to know? And it was the business side of it. And it's interesting to see a lot of business owners that are great at what they do. Like you could be a builder, you could be a framer, you could be a plumber, but not every one of those guys are set up to start a business. You forget about marketing. You forget about sales. You forget about finance. You forget about schedules and systems and processes. And uh, I I was smart enough, just smart enough to understand that I didn't know all that. And so I went up to the U and said, "Okay, I want to get in and out of here quick and I need to know how to run a business. And remember, this is before the internet, before any of that stuff. That's so, way more
1: than others go through. It's They kind of dive in. And
0: yeah. And I, I'm a perfectionist. So I, I'm part engineer. I'm part architect. I'm part artist. I'm part social worker. I'm part marriage counselor. <laughs> I'm part salesman. Um, what else did I forget? I'm sure there's something else in there. But all of that, I think you have to have little pieces of that to run a successful business. Not any business, but a successful one. Because I see a lot of guys start out and they're all gung-ho. Oh, I'm a framer and my boss is a builder and he's making all the money driving the, the Tesla or driving the, the Hummer. And I'm doing all the work. So I'm going to break away and go start my own building company because I'm a framer with three years experience. And they forget about all the other stuff. Um, so I wanted, I didn't want to be like that. So I ended up working full-time at Ivory for seven years and then going to night classes. And I, as I did the research, um, the business department up at the U had had a marketing program that was the shortest one to get in and out of there, and it covered all the stuff I needed, finance, marketing, sales, um, all that kind of stuff. So I went to night classes and early morning classes for four years to cover that extra two years that I needed to get a bachelor's. So I got a bachelor's degree from the U, and um, I think there's some kind of joke about a BS degree, but it's 100% true. <laughs> Is
1: this wall being with Ivory?
0: Well, I, I work nine to five at Ivory, and then I'd go from six to 10 o'clock just about every night during the week, or at least like Tuesday through Thursday, um, to get in those other classes and get out of there. So I ended up with a, uh, in 1998, I got my bachelor's degree from the U and then, um, even though I didn't like school and stuff like that, I, I came across another company that, uh, does business organization. So I got to the point in my business, I read some books. My wife is really good at helping me read and get more education. It's funny, you know, going to school, you read, you know, 10 or 20 books because you have to, um, in 2020, I read over 50 books in that year. And I've read that guys like Bill Gates and Elon Musk and, uh, all these billionaires, they read a book a week. So I'm like, I want to be like those guys. And uh, a good friend of mine, Dan Burton, he he has a book club with our neighborhood. And they read uh, quite a few, I think they do a book a month. And I think Dan reads four or five during that same time. But all of that is just, it's it's amazing all the knowledge you can get from all these people that have come before you. And I'm big on self-help and business books and things like that. And once in a while, I'll read adventure books or fiction stuff i like clive cussler it's kind of fun but that's that's the adventure side of me where i want to go find treasure and stuff like that. i
1: can't uh i can't get my mind right to read a book it just wanders every time i start uh, reading
0: well my wife was smart enough she knew i wouldn't sit down and read a book because i feel like i need to be doing something else yeah um so she'll get books on audible so if i'm on a bike ride or if i'm uh out doing work in the yard or something like that i can be listening to something so yeah. that helps a lot uh One of my favorite books that really launched us was The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. And it's all about systems and processes. And uh, it's funny, when I was in BNI, which is Business Network International, which I think is a great organization for networking, and they have really awesome classes on how to be smart about your business. And I was in that group for somewhere between five and seven years. And every week, they meet every week and you're given the opportunity to stand up and give a 30 to 60 second commercial for your business. Some people are kind of lazy, so they'll do the same thing every week. So after a few weeks, everybody kind of zones out when that person gets up. Well, I thought, you know what? I wanna break my company down into 52 segments. So every week, people have to listen to me. What's Jamie gonna say about what his company does? And people that are simple think, oh, well, you draw houses. But as you've already heard me tell stories and stuff like that, there's yep. tons of stuff. So I'd have 30 second, they call it your 30 second commercial or elevator pitch or whatever. Yep. You know, If you got 30 seconds to talk to somebody about something, what are you gonna say that's gonna make them check out your website or your follow this you week on social I'm media? I'm looking
1: for people that you know yeah. like yeah. but they do the same thing all the time.
0: Yep, so I talk. one week I'd talk about adding a third car garage or adding a storage unit. Uh, next week I'd talk about a second home down in St. George. And what it does it starts getting people thinking about, oh, well, my, my mom and dad were thinking about buying a home in St. George. So now they, they think about me or, hey, you know, you live in that Brady Bunch house. Do you want to gut it and freshen it up and make it look like it was built today? Uh, i try to cater those commercials around different holidays and seasons. So I'd be like uh, – October. Your mindset, dude. October. (laughs) What do you think? This is why I don't sleep at night. (laughs) (laughs) So, October is one of my favorite holidays. So, I would, during October, I'd be like, Do you live in the psycho house? You know, let's give it a facelift. Or, or, uh, you have a crazy mother in law and you need her to have your own apartment in your basement or something like that. So,. It's, it's awesome to have those educational things and books and, yeah. and stuff like that to help. Um, I remember learning about Michael Gerber. He did an interview with the owner of BNI, and it, it reminded me. I'd read the e back in 2004 once, and I thought, oh, this is really cool. But when it was reintroduced to me in 2013 uh, or 14, like 10 years later maybe, I thought, huh, I'm going to go read that again. And I had matured mentally so much more in that 10 years. I thought, you know what I need? uh, It's good to hear something and and get a warm fuzzy about it. But very few people actually implement the stuff that that's there. Yeah. So I went through and I listened to E-Myth, I think 10 more times in 30 days. And I stopped it and took notes and stopped it and took notes. And then if you follow like the secret or the law of attraction, about a month later, I got a phone call from a friend of mine that introduced me to another school called Entrepreneur Simplified. I think E-Simplified. It was a, uh, she said, hey, you got to come check out this, this three-day education camp. So uh, they have you go down and you spend three days and they bring in all these professionals and, and motivators and things like that that talk about business and how to make your business better. And one thing led to another and I signed up for their program. And over the span of two more years, I got a, a master's degree in business organization. And it really, I still feel like I fail at a lot of it. Um, but we're head and shoulders above other companies. I, I'll go into a company, I'm like, you guys have been around for how long and you don't do this and this? And it's, it's, it blows me away. Where do
1: you get all this energy? I don't know.
0: I, I gotta go t- i gotta go take a nap after this like you've
1: definitely <laughs> showcased who you are and like everything that you put into what you do and overachieving and stuff like that and so i'm trying to steer you into talking about yeah. like walker home design oh your yeah process talk about with the that. home design and everything All because right. we got a good story <laughs> so that, uh, a haunted house story oh yeah, towards well. the end we got to get to
0: so uh, what time is it how long it's are we? 10. what time did we start like, that's been an hour. Away. Yeah. Oh my God. All right. I'm like, I'm like,
1: tell me about
0: you gotta give all me an outline. Processes. This is why I have a process <laughs> yeah. because if not, I just tell stories all day. Yeah. So, so I guess the entrepreneur simplified and, and the emyth kind of led me to thinking, you know what, when I grow up, I want to be like Disney and Nike and Walmart and Ford. Those are the, the big ones that I look. Um, and you may not like their product, but their process, you know what you're getting. McDonald's, for example, yeah. you know. Yes. I know if I if I go through the drive through in Rexburg, Idaho, I'm going to get a crappy cheeseburger at the end. And if I go through that same restaurant in Orlando, Florida, I'm getting that same crappy hamburger, right? They're not going to be different. They're going to be exactly <laughs> the same.
1: It, I've never had... Oh, well, I guess when I went to Thailand, that tastes a little bit uh, different. The well, yeah, there taste a little different.
0: Yeah, well, dog's different than beef, right? Yeah. so it's going to have a little yep. bit. A little bit. They don't both taste like chicken, right? <laughs> they were just so, the processes were the same, but they the were process just as fast, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so I wanted my company to be I, consumers don't like surprises, right? Yeah. And if uh, in the email that talks about uh, getting a haircut from the same person. But if they do it differently each time, you start to lose confidence in, in the process. The you get. don't know, they might be great at cutting hair, but if the process is different, it, it takes away a little bit of that, that confidence. So the very first thing I do at Walker Home Design is I do an introduction. Um, I do a checklist. So before we even meet with a client, you have to answer a few questions to make sure, I think we're gonna be a good fit for what your expectations are. Because it really comes down to expectations right? If, if I build this up, if I watch HDTV, for example, and I don't know anything about construction, I will firmly believe that you can remodel a bathroom on a commercial break. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, they're taking a video before and wow, no look, way. Ty Pennington's come back and the house is done. Yep. And so they go out me. so I try to, back. I try to reel it in for people to kind of bring it back to, to earth. I had a lady one time come in and sat down and told me what she wanted. I took some notes and she literally stood up after that one hour meeting and said, are my plans done? Can I grab them at the front desk? And she was dead serious. Are you serious? And I'm like, wow, this is going to make a good story for my classes I teach. <laughs> Cause yeah, I mean, people just have that. I mean, think about who your competitors are any business out in the world right now. Who's your competitor?
1: Um, well, for like
0: any competitor, who are your competitors?
1: Me in general, sure. or just any businesses? Yeah. Me in general, general, or other people that do the same thing I do.
0: That's that's the short answer. Yes. But let me enlighten you. Okay. This is what what I learned. Your competitors are Disney, Amazon Prime, uh, Netflix, uh, Home Depot. I mean,
1: are you talking about like getting people used to a process of getting stuff fast?
0: The world today, everybody has. Uh, an addiction to instant gratification. For example, I I came home the other night after one of my home shows and the kids are sitting down watching TV. It's about 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like, I got to go sit in the hot tub. It's been a long one. So I go in, I come back in 30 minutes later and there's a box of crumble cookies sitting on our counter. And I know the kids didn't leave. They got on their, uh, What's it called? Where you get food? Brought uh, it to the door. The yeah, DoorDash. the Doordash. Yeah, they get on Doordash and deliver Crumble cookies at 10:30 at night. And then it's funny. Like a week later, Crumble cookies sounds like, like one of our stories. Cr- crumble cookies, uh, illegal issues with the uh, child labor law stuff. I'm like, oh, they got the oompa loompas working 24 <laughs> seven over there at Crumble. Um, but that's the co- those are our competitors. Uh, Amazon Prime is huge. HGTV uh, Disney, everybody expects it right now, right now. So I don't care what business you're in. If you don't figure out a way to compete with that on some level, you're going to be left in the dust. I'm always thinking, I'm like, how can I create an app that lets people click on shapes? I call it playing adult Tetris. Like if I create 50 different sizes of different rooms, I need an app that will pull those simple shapes, squares, rectangles, things like that into the app. And then have people say, okay, that's generally what my house looks like. Click a button, and then it links to 15 of our homes on our website. And now people can say, oh, yeah, that's how those shapes would lay out. And that's kind of what we're doing manually right now. But those are the things that my brain starts thinking about. Uh, When I was, well, about 20 years ago, I'm, like, watching Star Trek. And I'm, like, they have the holodeck, you know, where you walk in and and I can't remember the – the, the characters names, or, yeah. you know, Spock or somebody yep. hits a button and it changes the whole room yep. into a whole new planet. And I'm like, we need a holodeck for house plans because a builder spent an 800,000 building a model home and he gets one model. And there's probably, you know, 60% of the people that are going to like that model, but the 40% aren't. And they're going to go over to edge homes instead of ivory or whatever. What if we could create a holodeck that could switch from house to house to house to house and walk you through it? And lo and behold, you know, I, I had the idea before the technology say, caught up. They with it. A, they a, so they have virtual tours yeah. and things like that now. Yep. So with it's our like full
1: life size floor plans or something. Yeah, to there's around there's
0: or, things like that, but yeah. you also need big rooms. And yeah. So anyway, I uh, I created a process where we ask questions at the beginning to find out if we're a good fit. Things like, have you built before? Do you have a builder? Have you been pre-qualified? That's a big one. Uh, have you um, acquired land? I always like my clients to buy the land first and then we design the house to fit it.
1: For many reasons. Uh,
0: yeah, because if, most homes are designed a certain layout if you buy a pre-existing house. Um, but you really sometimes need to do a custom house if the, the lot is different or narrow. has slope yeah. on it or narrow or deep or... Anyway, so once we go through that process and we feel like we're a good fit with the client, the client likes us, I'll quote them a price based on what the scope is that they they talk about and then we have a separate meeting so meeting number two is where if it's a custom house i'll start drawing things right in front of them and so we have a big screen tv and they can say we'll start out with that bubble diagram so i'll say okay we're, we're talking about the main floor how many rooms do you want on the main floor and what are they and then I'll, I'll list them all out okay i want a two-car garage i also want a one car so a three-car garage i want a mud room i want a half bathroom i want a kitchen i want a dining a great room a master bedroom, an office, a dining room, or and then we gotta design a foyer and stairs and an entry. So once I have all those names, or maybe a covered patio, once I have all those names, then I'll say, Okay. And it's almost like a, a, a yoga zen moment. I'll say, Okay, close your eyes. When you walk up to your house, where are those rooms? So on the left side of the house, what's there? Oh, that's the garage. Okay, you walk in the front door, is that in the middle of the house? Yeah, yeah, that's in the middle. Okay, when you walk through the door, what's on the left and what's on the right and what's in front of you? And we'll start to lay out those names that we've typed in where all those things happen. Because a lot of people are living in that house in their mind already. They just don't know how to put it on paper and and communicate that. So once we get that roughed out, uh, and part of the process to get to this point is using visual tools. So one of their homework assignments, at the end of every meeting, I have a process called Next Steps and we'll list out what every client's supposed to be doing between now and the next meeting and we always schedule the next meeting so that there's no guesswork most architects fail right there it's like crisis management like they don't schedule the meetings out and the clients three there's weeks no deadlines three, there's no yeah, yeah there's no rhyme or reason to it at all and the client will call us up or the client will call the architect and say where's my plans and all of a sudden the architect's like oh crap i forgot about them so they'll stop working on that, the other project and they'll jump on theirs and they'll hurry and get it to them to try to keep them quiet for a while. and They go back and forth, back and forth. But anyway, with us, we have structured meetings, structured process like that. And we ask them to go on Pinterest or House as part of the homework and pick out five to 10 pictures of each part of the house that, that we want to focus on. So it could be the landscaping, the front ex- exterior style, the great room, the kitchen, the master bedroom, the master bath, the pantry, stairways, office, backyard barbecue, all of those main, there's usually 10 or 15 main areas of the house. And then I tell them, don't do more than five or 10 pictures because then it gets convoluted. Um, but for each of those pictures, write down one or two sentences about, about what you like about that picture. So one time I had a client send me a, a picture of a house and they said, we love this house. And I wrote back to them, I said, oh, yeah, those windows are great. And they're like, oh, no, we're talking about the stone. They hadn't even noticed the windows or the roof pitch or anything else. So by communicating what it is about those pitchers, it helps us understand what they're looking at. So once we have that information, then we start to chisel away at the stone, let's say, that's going to be their house and get it just right. And we have meetings every two weeks. It allows our drafting team to work on their house for five days. Then it goes into our quality control area for two or three days, and then we send it to them about two days before we meet so they can make notes on it and then see if we missed anything or if they want to add things. We do that four to six times, and their plans are done, engineered, and stamped. We even have a process where we can rush their project and get it done. We did 8,000 square foot homes in under three weeks, and I hire one of my draftsmen to work nights and weekends and then we pay our engineer a, a bonus. Like we did that just now, I've got a client that called me up and their house is almost done. And they're like, we wanna add a pool and a pavilion out by it. So we're gonna rush that through and have it done by next Monday. And he just told me about it yesterday uh, because I found one of my draftsmen that wants to earn some extra money. And my engineer is gonna have one of his guys earn some extra money and come in on the weekend. So we charge a fee for that, but sometimes people want that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of our process we do the same thing with the exterior the same thing with the final meeting and probably one of the most unique things is not only our process is unique i forget to talk about that a lot Um, people are always stuck on price Um, but um, in our final meeting we have a checklist for every page so there's 20 to 30 sheets that go as a set of plans you got floor plans and elevations but There's electrical, there's flooring, there's cross-sections, there's roof details, floor framing, uh, the list goes on and on. So there's about 30 sheets. On every one of those sheets, we have a checklist of 5 to 10 items that we want to make sure the client signs off on, somebody from our office signs off on it, and the builder signs off on it. And we invite the builder to come to every one of those meetings so that they feel invested and part of the whole design process. Because what I've learned is if the client hires the builder and bids it out later, the bids are always high 100% of the time. And if we miss anything or if the builder screws something up out on the job site, the builder doesn't know us. And they want to cover their own butt and save face. So they'll say, oh, your architect screwed this up and didn't give us enough information. So now the client's left second guessing if they really picked a good home designer or architect or if the builder's being honest or not. But if you're all sitting in that same room and everybody knows the budget and what the goals are on the square footage, I would say 90, 95% of the time the clients are happy. They're not suing their builder at the end of the job. They're not mad at them. Um, it's a lot smoother process. And I learned that from a good friend of mine at Jackson Leroy, uh, Brandon Leroy, who's a uh, someday I hope to design a house for his company because they are just unbelievable. Awesome. Who's that? Jackson Leroy. Jackson is the Leroy. builder. And Brandon Leroy is the friend of mine. He's been kind of a mentor of mine for over a decade. They build just amazing homes, like really high-end type stuff. So
1: walking into this question, your processes and everything that you do and your mind, the way your mind thinks of putting everything together, um, there's a method to your madness when you're designing homes. Yeah. With materials, everything Uh, like that. Yeah, that's
0: a good point. So I teach a lot of classes at the Home and Garden Show. The International Builder Show has asked me to teach classes to builders from all over the world. And... Uh, when, when I tell the story of how we get homes really efficient, it goes, it touches on a lot of stuff we've talked about, you know, from Dungeons and Dragons and Legos. I played a lot with Legos, um, and building homes with my dad and my grandpa growing up in Oregon. And, uh, it, kind of starts out with that understanding how to put a plan together and understanding how the builders are going to build that, not just the framer, but the plumbers, the electricians, the HVAC guys, things like that. So what my dream was when I started my company was, I looked at Lego and uh, Lego wins awards for their plans. If you've ever built anything with Lego, you know how easy it is to to follow their directions. And I've never once had to cut a Lego in half to get it to fit because the directions were off. Although my daughter bought some (laughs) from China last year And nothing worked. I mean, it's shocking how they could screw up. I mean, they already copied Lego, and they still forgot parts and put things in the wrong spot and didn't have directions. So I thought, well, when I grow up, I'm going to have my plans be as easy to follow as Lego and have less waste than typical architects and home designers. So I went and started thinking back to to when I built homes with my dad and my grandpa. Plywood comes in 4 by 8 sheets. Drywall comes in 4 by 8 or 4 by 10 uh, carpet I used to lay carpet on the weekends it comes in 12 foot rolls and the list goes on and on with materials that we use for housing is already in predetermined sizes so I said well if I start drawing my houses on two foot increments if I have two feet left over from that sheet of plywood there's a good chance I can use it somewhere else on the house but if if it's 13 inches or eight inches it's probably going to end up in the dumpster so our homes are so efficient we've had builders come back and tell me that they bid out for, thirty thousand dollars less than our competing competing architects and home designers and when i asked them how that is they pointed out well you're using materials better and you're thinking ahead so one of the the practices i learned long ago was to go out to job sites and talk to the guys that are building stuff so i take my office out uh, about once a month to job sites to talk to plumbers electricians hvac electrical framers finished carpenters concrete guys and we, we ask him the question, how can we make our plans easier for you? And so over 20 years of doing that, our plans have just been refined and refined and refined so that we've had clients build 10,000 square foot homes and only empty the dumpster one time. We did a home right next door to a competing uh, home designer, same square footage homes. They were both 6,000 square feet built by the same builder at the same time. And the builder came back and told us our plan made it through the city a month quicker because it was easier for the city to understand. The builder built it two months faster. So just those three months that we saved uh, our client, we put $10,000 back in their pocket because they, they had already started their uh, loan process and it saved them that much money on their interest. And then the real kicker was when I asked the builder, well, how much did our house cost versus theirs? Remember, they're both 6,000 square foot custom homes built by the same builder at the same time using the same subs, the same finishes, everything was the same. Our house cost 100000 less to build, and that was 10 years ago. And now we're seeing similar numbers but exponentially bigger. We did a custom home in Pepperwood. It was about 9,000 square feet, 8,500. It cost $2.75 million to build it in 2019. They lived in it two years and sold it for $5.5 million. And they said other architects would have quoted them $4 million to build it but we got their costs down and they doubled their money living in the Walker home design house for two years. The two homes I've built for myself in the last 20 years, both appraised for double what it cost to build. And now they're worth well over that. So understanding construction, being efficient with the materials, figuring out how to make it easier for each subcontractor. I mean, I have a whole list of tips. Uh, if you follow me on uh, master builder 88 on Instagram or Walker home design on Facebook and Instagram, I do tip Tuesdays a lot of times and talk about how we map out where plumbing goes in the floor joist system so that the plumber's not drilling through a joist. Uh, we offset our doors three, uh, four to six inches so when the finished carpenter comes in to put casing in, he doesn't have to cut it down. Uh, builders have told me we do about 20 to 30 things on our plans that other guys haven't figured out yet.
1: That's awesome. And
0: so most people, when they get on the internet and they're looking for house plans, they just look at a floor plan and an elevation. Yep and uh, maybe next time we can talk about how we even give people options for the exterior, but they don't think about the guts of the house. Those Lego directions on how it gets built just goes over people's heads and they don't figure it out. And they're like, well, I can empty my dumpster eight times and I'm, I'm happy with that. Well, every time that dumpster gets emptied, that's the client or the builder's money getting dumped in the field. And people don't think about that a lot. You
1: you go back and forth. You say there's architect, Home designer. Oh, yeah. What's the story with that?
0: So. uh, I think a
1: lot of people just (coughs) presume that it's just you're an architect. Yeah,
0: yeah. So um, attorneys have been involved in a lot of the world (laughs) events, right? So architects spend nine years going to school or longer. Uh, The process I learned was you you do a four-year degree to get a bachelor's in architecture. Then you do two more years to get a master's then you do a three-year internship um, with a a, a architectural firm then you take a test and if you pass that test at the end of all that then they give you a piece of paper that says you're an architect so um i have not done that i wonder
1: why they're pissed (laughs) they're always angry
0: they have a class called architecture 101 where it's like always be angry and uptight (laughs) and uh that's
1: what they teach them right off the bat
0: absolutely Um, and they try to weed people out. It's like, it's like a special club. They don't want people to be in there. And if you can deal with the BS for so many years, then they'll let you in the club. And then you're just angry and bitter (laughs) and you qualify for a job at the DMV after that. Um, so I, I mean, I'm probably a little angry and bitter anyway, but that's just a, just a little spice to go with it. Uh, but I've, I've done meetings with clients that are like, well, when's the architect getting here? And I'm like, well, I'm it. They're like, but you smile. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I've, I've had architects hire me to do their own houses. And uh, one of the things that turned me away from being uh, an architect, uh, not only the nine years of school, because I'm like, well, gosh, I could be a doctor, I could be an architect, what uh, is that most architects don't learn how to draw houses. So going back to the fifth through seventh grade, I uh, I said to myself, you know, what What's the most secure and safe job I could have with the skills that I already have? And I thought, well, everybody needs a house to live in, right? I mean, we're beyond living in caves and tents and stuff like that. Everybody's got to have a house. So that's – I'm set for life. And then 2008 hit. (laughs) And I'm like, what the heck? I thought I had this figured out. (laughs) Um, But up at the architecture school, after I'd worked at Ivory Homes for a year or two, I called them up and I said, hey – When I get into the architecture program, I want to test out a residential, I know residential forwards and backwards. I'd only been doing it a year, but I thought I knew everything. And they laughed at me and they're like, well, that's only like 3% of what we teach. I'm like, well, what are architects doing? And they said, Oh, they do commercial buildings, churches, temples, schools, shopping malls, strip malls, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, Oh, well, how much is a starting architect making after nine years of school and their test? Now this was back in 1994 they said a starting architect is making 30 to 35,000 out of college and i looked at my pay stub and i was already making 45 at ivory homes and i said well i thought architects made a lot of money but it's probably going to take another 20 years to even get to where i think they should be and so that's that was like the confirmation so i didn't want to do commercial stuff i wanted to do houses for people and so I took a different path. And in the in the United States, you can be a home designer and draw houses, and not need a degree as an architect. And most people don't know that. So what if, is
1: there you can't do as a home <coughs> designer?
0: So um, there's there's certain square footages or apartment buildings, for example, or commercial buildings that are over three thousand square feet. I, I don't remember the actual wording in it. Yeah. Um, but my, my office knows all the different speculations. Um, actually we were just hired by a builder out of California and each state has their own subset of laws also. Uh, but most states, I would say probably 48 out of 50, anybody can draw a house. But California is one of those that's got way more attorneys than should be allowed by law and they require architect stamps on their plans. And mostly that's just designing the mechanical plumbing and electrical and having a supervisor over the job. So we're doing a 3000 square foot house in California that has to have an architect. Uh, but the cool thing about California is we can charge our normal Utah prices and they don't bat an eye at it Yeah, because we're half of what they, they get in California. And then when you add all of the benefits of using Walker home design and efficiency, they're going to make a ton of money using us in California because uh, we're just smarter than how they're getting their houses drawn normally. So, so I legally have to tell people I'm a home designer. And we talked earlier about the different awards that we've been nominated by our clients who love us for best architect in Utah or best home designer or things like that. And we've won best architect in Salt Lake City. And we're going up against guys that draw the temples for the LDS, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, those companies that build those temples neck and neck with us and we've won as best architect not even being an architect as a home designer yeah so it's cool that our clients love us that much um, it's fun to be involved in all that and how people get excited about doing their home with us i've had i've had you know i've been doing home and garden shows for 20 years and i've had tons of people say oh i'm not building this year i'll come back later we've had people come back after 10 years that met me at that show and now we're doing their house. We've had other people come back that have done homes with us in the past and they want to use us again. We've had people recommend us to their family in Texas and Virginia and Oregon and California and Nevada that we've never met. They just say, this is the guy you got to use. Last night, uh, I was scrolling through social media and a a friend of ours uh, recommended us and I read the post and a lady said, hey, I'm looking for a builder. Who do you recommend? and one of our friends said before you hire a builder you better talk to jamie <laughs> which is really cool when people yeah. think about stuff like that so it's it's good to have a solid good brand and record uh uh, rec- uh be recommended by people and uh, reputation and uh be involved in the community i mean we talk about our charity and stuff we uh we try to give back to so yeah. that you know we love to do four things Design homes that are economical to build, floor plans that are functional to live in, homes that are attractive to look at from the outside and look timeless so you can't tell what year they were built. And the fourth one is giving back to the community.
1: I'm sitting here listening to you, and I know a lot of what you've got going on, and we could sit and talk forever about Uh, it.
0: This is a six-hour show, right?
1: But, But we've got to get into... Your haunted house design.
0: The haunted house. We've got to get
1: into the... another. Story time with Jamie Walker. All right.
0: So picture, if you will, a deserted desert with an old mine shaft in the background in Utah. Uh, we were approached in 2011, I think, by uh, a friend of mine, and he said, hey, how would you like to be involved designing a haunted house? And I said, sign me up. <laughs> and he said, come look at this property with me. So he took me on a drive. We went to downtown Salt Lake. And uh, one of my dreams is to design a theme park uh, here in Utah. Uh, we go to Disneyland a lot, and it's always crowded. And there's always BYU in Utah and Utah State uh, people down there. I bet 20% of Disneyland is, is run or paid for by a Utah residents at any given time i mean in fact i think every october they have uh uh, uea weekend where the kids get out of school and there's a joke going around it's called uea because it's utah exits to anaheim (laughs) (laughs) and it's just packed full of utah people and so i thought you know utah needs its own theme park so i thought well doing this haunted house might get us one step closer so my friend took me on this tour uh of this abandoned old mining kind of mine tailings plant or a concrete plant or something like that it's in downtown salt lake it's approximately 600 south and like 300 west or 600 west or something like that and we're walking through it's three to five acres i think and it's just creepy it's abandoned i mean there's bird pigeon poop everywhere uh it's creepy just abandoned like it is so he asked me for, for some ideas, some feedback, told me what he was paying for it, and I said, yeah, let's totally do it. So we designed a maze and made it kind of like a Disney theme park. If you go to Disneyland now, they have uh, Galaxy's Edge where you you leave Frontierland and you go under a bridge and you're transformed into a planet somewhere in the Star Wars universe. And that's how I wanted to make this, this haunted house. And we didn't quite get to to do everything we wanted in it and had kind of a falling away with the, the owners, but they took a lot of my ideas and designed it. And it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, they did zip lines. They've got spiral slides in the dark that go three stories. Uh, they've got some cool catwalk bridges. They've got tunnels that go underground.
1: Um, I they, forgot you've <coughs> done several haunted houses. Yeah.
0: So they, that was the one that started it. Yeah. They didn't follow our, my input was to create a theme around one element. And what they've done, where I think they failed the most was they, they tried to follow other haunted houses. So you go in one room and you got scary clowns. You go in another room and you got Freddy Krueger. You go in another room and you got Dracula. And it's like, you, every time you go into a different theme, you, it's like having watching it's like watching a horror movie and then they have a commercial break. And so instead of you being transformed into that world, you're kind of – you come up for air and you're like, oh, yeah, that's just a movie. Or, oh, yeah, we're just in a haunted house. Do you want to name that haunted house? So, um, yeah, I'll I'll definitely name it because it's one of the top ten in the country, and we designed it. Yeah. But they could be the number one in the country if they would have let me follow through with it. It's the Fear Factory. So check it out. It's awesome. I've been through it a few times. Like I said, we've kind of – I'm still waiting to get paid. That's the big thing. (laughs) But it's cool to at least tag people and tell them we designed it. So uh, a friend of mine came to me. Actually, it wasn't even a friend. It was it – was, I was in B&I, and somebody came to me and said, hey, I know somebody who's wanting to do another haunted house, and they heard you did the Fear Factory. Do you want to help them with, with that one? And I said, sure, I'll take a look at it, but I'm getting paid up front. <laughs> so the same year, uh, 2011 – maybe it was 2012. I think it was 2011 – uh, I met with a, a lady out in Harriman, Harriman, Utah is just South of Salt Lake, uh, about 10, 15, 20 miles. And, uh, she met me at this little strip mall and I said, uh, well, this is, you know, interesting, but it's not scary. What, what's the deal? And she said, well, there used to be a, uh, a, a gold's gym in this, I think it was three or 4,000 square feet. It might've been 8,000 square feet, somewhere in that range, but it's in a strip mall. And I said, well, what are you going to call this? And she said, I want to call it Diablo's Dome. And I said, why is that? And she's like, well, here, let me show you. So we walked outside the strip mall, and we looked up, and on top of the the strip mall, there's a, a copper dome uh, up on the top. And I said, oh, okay, well, that, that kind of fits all of that. I said, well, do you have some kind of a story or some kind of a theme you want to tell for this? And she said, well, uh, no. Do you have any ideas? And I said, well, uh, what if we do this and i said have you heard about the fires in harriman she's like no i'm from las vegas what, what are you talking about i said well uh, a few years ago there's been some wildfires out here in harriman there's a lot of military activity down here there's a military base and they have shooting ranges and what the news reported in 2000 i think it was 9 10 and 11. Uh, the military was doing target shooting out on their range and some stray bullets caught some of the, the local brush on fire, and it took off. There were high winds and things like that. And I said, um, maybe there's something to do with Diablo with that. And maybe we maybe the military was after something, and they're covering, up, covering it up. And she said, well, come inside and take a look at this. So we walked in, and we noticed the floors had all settled inside. And we think that's why Gold's Gym left the strip mall area. So we went down to the city and we said, hey, what can we do to open this up for a haunted house? And, and this was late in the season. I think this was July or August, and they wanted to be open by October. And I, I said, that's going to be pushing it. We're going to have to get contractors in here and all this. And we went to the city and the city said, yeah, you got to fix all those floors and level those out before we're going to let you put a haunted house in there. And I said, okay, well we got to tear it up first. So we went in with some small equipment and tore up all the floor systems. It was all concrete slab. So we tore up the concrete. And as we were digging down to get um, gravel poured back in, the f- a section of the floor caved in. And so we had some engineers go down there. And they actually opened up to these caverns underneath this strip mall. And so I went back to Jen, who was the owner, and I said, well, here's our haunted house. Now we've got something there's these caverns that are underneath this strip mall. And so we, we were able to get um, some special permits from the city and we built uh, an elevator ride. And so I said, well, we're close to the mines out here in Harriman, let's, let's have our theme be mining. And so when you walk in the door, you're gonna have all these eighteen nineteen hundreds 1900s pictures, black and white of mining places in Utah. And so, oh, are you showing the Diablos Dome? It's on Facebook if you want to go there. That's most of our information.
1: Was there YouTube videos of it too? I think we had the some videos. videos on there. Yeah. So yeah. you'll have
0: to check those out. Okay. So anyway, what we found was uh, the city let us do an elevator shaft and we decked out the area. So we basically had people dressed up like Kennecott Mine tour guides. And so we started on social media saying, hey, we're not open yet. You can come out. We're going to have a mine uh, shaft ride. And we'll take you on a few. The city's going to let us go on a few of these tours uh, in these caves that are underneath the strip mall in Harriman. And so I started doing some research on Harriman and the fires and things like that. And it turns out that uh, there's one of the longest unsolved mysteries in Utah history about a guy named Rafael Lopez. And so I was starting to do a little bit of linking these together. I'm like, well, this is interesting because... Rafael Lopez was a miner back in the early 1900s, and he killed a guy in a bar fight. I think it was over some lady. And the sheriff and four deputies chased him down out into the Eagle Mountain, Harriman, uh, copper mine type area, and he ambushed the sheriff and shot the three deputies killing him and wounded the sheriff. Well, he made it back into town and got a posse together, of 30 or 40 people, and they tracked Rafael Lopez, into the mine and trapped him. And for two weeks, I think, they had him trapped in there. And he would survive eating lunches from the other miners. And finally, they cleared out all the other miners, and they set fires to, I think there were three or four entrances in and out of this mine. They set fire to the mines and pumped poison into it and uh, fanned it in there for three days. And then they went in to get his body three days later, and they couldn't find him. He had, he had disappeared. So after finding these caves in Harriman, we, we thought, well, maybe Raphael made it out through one of these little side caves, uh, these caverns. And so uh, as we were developing our story to tell people of why they would wanna come check out this, these caves under this mall, uh, one day a car showed up at our, our parking lot that we didn't know who owned. It turns out it was four teenagers, from one of the high schools decided to break in and go check it out on their own and they were never found and so we had to shut everything down before we even opened and so you can see some of the news reports on our social media about um don't come right now we're going to open later we have to find out who these kids are and track it down Uh, but finally we were able to open we got clearance from everybody and started taking people's on these on these tours in these caves and uh Pretty soon the elevator would break down and you had to get out on your own. And so we created this whole haunted experience of people investigating these caves underneath this strip mall in Harriman. So it made it go from kind of a kid-friendly little Chuck E. Cheese experience to a real cool elevator ride in a haunted cave area. So, But
1: you had to like... You had a lot of news stuff going on. Yeah. And uh, was that a lot of marketing and hype big, that you put together?
0: Big Buddha, everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it turns the, out it was the, all, yeah, I mean, we made up In the story. end,
1: it turns out that that was yeah. what you were putting together to yeah. get people to, so to it, sell. So it
0: was great. It was way better than what we did at the Fear Factory. the The problem was the investors didn't put money into radio marketing and the spotlight that they had to send people over here broke down after the second day. So for some reason, it wasn't meant to be. But when I tell people that story, I I did radio interviews, we had Big Buddha, we had movie directors out of California come to it. Everybody loved it. It was so cool. Um, so one day I hope to re- hope to reopen that. We found a few properties and stuff like that, but I need a few investors that'll let me take that and run with it, <coughs> kind of like the guy did with the Make-A-Wish house. For the 2.0 version? Absolutely. There's uh, a lot of cool things that we can do on the history of Utah mining. And tie to Raphael. You had
1: a like super creative. Did you find you on there? I couldn't. get Must be on the uh, like the Facebook and stuff. But you had some really you had some really good videos that you put together of like. There's was one your neighbor.
0: Yeah. There's a less is more kind of a mentality. I mean, if you, I, I was really inspired by the Blair the Blair Witch Project, one of the least expensive movies ever made that grossed some of the most super minimal movie or most money ever, and it was all based on. Uh, stories you know and when you when you tie in an urban legend story with a local demographic or something like that you let people kind of create their own ghosts or monsters in their own mind when you don't show them the monster the monster could be anything yeah and i think that's more scary than seeing the monster and you hear a noise or you do something like this so one of our neighbors uh Annie Karchner, her husband as a president at Woodside Homes. So they were our neighbors. And I said, Annie, can we use you in this? So we went to my neighbor's barn and shot her with a, a, a construction helmet on and did just some dark pitch black background with a flashlight right on her face. And then we have a few background noises. And in the end, her body gets drug away. It's, I'm going to, we'll, uh, we'll find these it's and pretty I'll, awesome. we'll
1: find these and I'll put it on the <laughs> end of the podcast. And we
0: had great people like Linda Darnell's uh, movie or a, a news reporter. I think she actually works at KSL now, but she used to work with us too. And then friends of mine that are police officers, we staged everything in the front looking like they were, you know, caution tape and bodies are being looked for and stuff like that. But, uh,
1: at the end of this podcast on the YouTube, let's put a, yeah. let's oh, put that's some that's reels. Like we'll put some reels together. Yeah. Yeah. So but, people can see that at the end
0: yeah we made the whole thing up and i i would i would never tell anybody that like I'm, you're now hearing that i made yeah. up everything yeah. except rafael lopez was real so we tied that in so people could google rafael lopez and it's one of the longest unsolved mysteries they think they found his body down in mexico he fought with Pancho villa during the mexican-american wars or something like that but the storylines all matched up and so it was cool to let to have the owner of that project say, "Jamie, you figure it out," and then me to take something like a simple strip mall and turn it into something that make people go like, "Whoa, wait, what? That's in our backyard!" So
1: that's all in your I'd, mind. I'd, dude. I'd love your to. Brain is I'd crazy. love to take
0: that and run with you know different ideas if if uh, somebody's interested.
1: Let's do a 2.0. Yeah, for sure. So okay, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. I know yeah. you have got a busy schedule. Yeah, so. thank that. <laughs>
0: It went fast. We only had an hour and a half. <laughs> There's so much um, we didn't cover. Yeah, so go to walkerhomedesign.com, buy some house plans, or <laughs> so, yeah, right? or create a or, house, or if you want to do a theme park. Yeah, he's looking that.
1: to he's looking to do like a Disneyland, yeah. Disney World.
0: We've got a, a couple parade homes we're hoping to do this summer. One of them we're going to do a the the homeowner's little boy likes Super Mario or the Mario movie that's just come out. Yeah. And so we're trying to network with Make-A-Wish to get a to find some child that's interested in the same thing, and we're hoping to do a electric go-kart track in their backyard to make it like the Super Mario game, uh, Mario cool. Kart. So we're doing a Mario Kart go-kart, and then we have another client. We're hoping to get theirs in the parade where we're going to do like a treehouse uh, bridge configuration that's kind of out of the new Avatar movie where they have the the clan that lives by the ocean that has those treehouse I want to go see that. It's pretty fun.
1: So, what, uh, how do they get a hold of you? What's the best way? So,
0: uh, you can go to walkerhomedesign.com on our website. Uh, we're on social media, walkerhomedesign.com. We'll have to talk about our other company, Quick House Plans, yep. and our walker walls. Hopefully, it'll be up and rolling next time we talk. Uh, I've also uh, done a, a heavy bat thing. I told you about that. Yep. We've got some good things happening with that. Uh, but Walker Home Design is the main company. You can go to walkerhomedesign.com to contact us there. You can call our office, 801 930 9499. Check us out on social media. And uh, and th- this if, is the uh, brain
1: you get when you come to you because you're very, very hands on. Like you were talking about those I'm trying, meetings, each yeah, one of those meetings.
0: I'm trying to be less involved <laughs> just so we can expand a lot more. Um, and slowly we're getting, you know, hiring good people that can take over parts of that. Um, and so our process, yeah, I'm directly involved at the front end for sure. And then it tapers off as we go through, uh, we do multifamily stuff, custom custom homes. homes. We have a a whole bunch of stock plans that people can choose. Uh, we do a lot of remodels too. Um, one of the first things to start with too is on our website, you can download a free PDF and there's five of them now. Uh, One is called Questions to Ask My Builder. So if you're not sure where to start or what questions to ask, that gives you, uh, I think it's 24 or 27 questions to ask my builder. Uh, Same thing, 27 questions to ask your architect. So there are different questions for each of those people. There's uh, questions to ask before I buy land, which I just developed uh, earlier. Uh, Questions to ask before I remodel and questions to ask before i build
1: is there anything you haven't thought of
0: i'm sure there is the more you know the more you realize you don't know
1: (laughs) go see him now
0: but yeah if you're thinking about doing any kind of build project yeah uh definitely start with us